I don't really know how to start shows. Come on now, don't start, don't start liking me now. So yeah, I'm funny compared to, you know, well, you'll see later. I stand for mayhem! I know a lot of fucking idiots. I think a lot of shit is mean-spirited just because it goes against what they believe. But the relief of comedy is it takes things that aren't funny and it allows us to laugh about them for an hour. We got a purple suit to buy and a gigantic coffin. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Why Are You Laughing? A History of Comedy podcast. And today, I am pleased to introduce to you Paul Rubens, a.k.a. Pee Wee Herman. That's probably how most of you guys uh, would know the great Paul Rubens by his stage name. And uh, he's no longer with us. He uh, passed away earlier this week, kind of in the same way as uh, Norm. And I was trying to think, did Gilbert Gottfried also keep his uh, uh, illness quiet before he passed? I think so. I think that might be the other, the other name that uh, Kirk was trying to think of the other day. I couldn't remember, though. But uh, in, in a similar fashion, Paul Rubens was battling cancer, kept it quiet late in his life. And uh, he was at the age of 70 when he passed away. And uh, he's a name that people have suggested a lot in the couple of years we've been doing this show. So I figured uh, what time better than now to, uh, <laughs> to, on, to cash in on the name of Pee Wee Herman. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's what he would have wanted. It's, <laughs> it's just to, yeah. to get a few views off of his death. If anyone in the comedy world dies, you better uh, bet your life that the next week's episode. <laughs> well, not even that. If you don't think I'm tweeting out the Norman Lear episode, whenever that guy finally kicks the bucket, you know, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, uh, we will, we will of course honor Pee Wee as best we can. I may also refer to him as Pee Wee throughout the episode. I apologize. Uh, his name is Paul. That's a uh, funny thing about him is his f- real name is Paul Rubenfeld. And it's great that at some point in his life, he was probably like, well, I've got rid of that silly name. <laughs> People will treat me with respect now. <laughs> no, we will talk because he had a pretty amazing career in some ways. And in, in, in others, it uh, paralleled, I think, of uh, the Jerky Boys, where he had a tremendous amount of influence. But I don't know how much he cashed in on it. So we will get to all of it right after I remind you guys that you might want to check out blindmike.net if you would be so kind, because that's where you can find not just the podcast, not just all the free links, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get podcasts. You can also find the links for Blind Mike Project, uh, Who Are These Socials that I do with Carl, and uh, our YouTube channel, where you can now also get uh, memberships and buy people gifted memberships and all that good stuff. So if you're a little hesitant to join Patreon for whatever reason, um, then you can check out our bonus episodes on YouTube. But uh, just like Patreon, we will be posting a couple bonus episodes every single month, as well as these episodes that you're hearing right now. You get those a week early on Patreon and YouTube memberships. So uh, consider subscribing if you want to support the boys. Either way, blindmike.net. We got uh, merch there as well. So check all of that out at blindmike.net. Please and thank you. And I will say, I believe you have to sign up on a desktop. And if it's not just a desktop, I haven't. What a pain in the, you know what? Don't bother. <laughs> Go to Patreon or we, we, it's the thought that counts. <laughs> That's right. How goddamn annoying. <laughs> yeah. I had someone reach out and be like, uh, I don't see it anywhere. And then I checked on my phone and I couldn't find it, but I did find it on the desktop. 
Well, yeah, you do or don't bother, whatever. <laughs> we appreciate you guys listening. As long as you're hearing my voice right now, that's enough support. We appreciate it. Just hit the thumbs up button anywhere you see it. That's, yeah, just we'll go to that. Patreon, whatever. <laughs> Screw these people. <laughs> no, we're kidding, YouTube. Pump us in the algorithm. Whatever, whatever we got to do, you know, we won't curse. <sighs> it's exhausting. <laughs> Anyways, let's talk about uh, our pal Paul Rubens, Pee Wee Herman. So, like I said, tremendous amount of influence that this guy had. And I don't know if I realized how much respect he had from some people, particularly uh, when you talk about the movie that he made that really put him on the map um, and the way people uh, think about that and kind of revere that that film. So we will get to that. But let's start early on with uh, Paul Rubens when he was just a boy. I think we have him talking to Conan about a line of work that he could have gotten in. This is kind of one of those like uh, late night talk show subjects where it's like, now hypothetically, what would you do if you weren't in comedy? And it's like, okay, we see this coming, but this is legitimately, I would have expected this. I'm surprised they set it up as kind of a shocking thing. This is going to sound like I'm joking, but this is, this is really what I thought I would wind up doing. I grew up in Sarasota, Florida, which is the old winter headquarters of Ringling Brothers, and I always thought I'd wind up in the circus. That's what I thought I was going to really? do. Really? Yeah. What, what did you want to do in the circus? Did you have a specific, like, did you see, okay, this is... I could do a lot of circus acts. I, I could do trapeze. I could do tightrope. Um, see, I thought, I knew you were going to think that... <laughs> Did you really, did you practice, I mean, did you, how, how, would you take it seriously? To, when I went you- to circus camp. There's a circus camp? Mm-hmm. As a child, I went to circus camp. About six weeks into the circus camp, we put on a big show. My parents came, they're sitting in the bleachers, and I run out, I got on a little Speedo bathing suit. I'm like, maybe 12. Right. I've got like a, I get up on the balance beam. I had a balance beam act. Right. It's a fantastic balance beam act. <laughs> I wish you guys could have seen it. Um, and, uh, I had like fire, I had a ring like that had fire around it, and I blindfold myself and skip through the ring. And I looked out, my parents were like <laughs> I think it was then they knew. <laughs> I I don't know, uh Kirk asked me the other day when I mentioned this, if uh Pee Wee was gay. I don't know, but that doesn't that seem like that's what he's insinuating there? It could go one of two ways. Like yeah, they, it might just be a circus joke, you know? Like, yeah. uh, they knew I was a, a creep, he's gonna a freak. Be, yeah, or he's going to be in entertainment, but like that kind of entertainment. You know? Yeah, I don't know. But the, the circus thing seemed very uh, ordinary to me because he feels very much like a showman. Like, that's the kind of act that he had. I don't know that I would necessarily put him on the trapeze, but in general, <laughs> I could see him being like a circus Ringling Brothers type performer. He has that vibe to him. He'd be in the same section as like the bearded lady and stuff. Sure, yeah, he'd be a little more of a weirdo than an acrobat. But <laughs> exactly. All right, what's next? Uh, we have uh, him talking about starting in comedy. Yeah, let's get into the nitty gritty here. The real, the real crux of uh, Pee Wee's career. Well, I, I really started out as an actor, and like a lot of comedians, wound up getting into comedy kind of through the back door. I never really thought I was going to be a comedian. Um, I went to acting school. For that, I was acting in, in plays, community theater, that kind of thing. Then I went to acting school. I came out here uh, to California originally to go to the Walt Disney School, California Institute of the Arts. And since I was already out here, I moved down to Los Angeles from there. 
and uh, I joined an improv group. Uh, I decided to learn improvisation. It was a comedy group, and the rest, as they say, is history. Um, I got uh, wound up just getting real involved in comedy, and many people, uh, stand-up comics, I'm not really a stand-up comic, uh, which is why I wound up doing the Pee Wee Herman show uh, as kind of a play rather than stand-up comedy. I just, uh, in fact, the, the character of Pee Wee Herman really evolved because I didn't know any jokes, and uh, so it, it started out as a bad comic. Yeah, so the Pee Wee Herman show, for anyone that's not aware, is not the show uh, that that we would all know that was on CBS on Saturday mornings, but it was an adult like live act. So Pee Wee developed this character, and you know we always talk about influences on this program. Uh, the f- immediate and most obvious influence that comes to my mind when you're thinking of uh, the character that Paul Rubens developed would be Michael Scott, right? Because I mean, he, like even more so than David Brent, because like the David Brent character is obviously where Michael Scott originates, but David Brent is a little like meaner or more alpha, however you'd want to describe it. Whereas what Michael Scott is, is basically a, a boy that wants to be loved. <laughs> and we're even, especially when you would see like um, when they played a clip of like, you know, young Michael Scott on some pseudo Sesame street type show. That's where you really get the vibe. Like he's a P what Pee Wee Herman was supposed to represent. And that's a guy who wasn't funny, but nobody knew it. <laughs> or, I'm sorry. Everybody knew it other than him, I should say. Um, and so he was able to build an entire character and entire stage show out of that, which is very interesting because what that comes from, and you'll see this somewhat often in improv is a guy who doesn't have the confidence to do stand-up, doesn't have the belief in his abilities to do stand-up, but where they're able to make their bones is making fun of stand-up. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic where, like, the whole idea is that they're making fun of that art form because they're afraid to fully take it on. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. You know, so I, I think it's pretty interesting and I'm, I'm not even bashing it. I think it's pretty creative and clever to know your limitations a little bit and also say, but what that does tell me is that I think he could have on some level been a stand up. And really, I think if you're doing a stage act like that on some level, you do have those skills because that's kind of what Andy Kaufman was doing as well. The whole, uh, you know. Uh, Mighty Mouse routine and all that stuff that Andy Kaufman would do on stage was essentially uh, a terrible comedian. It was an imitation. And that's what Steve Martin was also, really, is uh, when we talked about Steve Martin, we talked a lot about how um, his whole act came from the idea of mocking stand-up comedy, kind of. So it's very interesting that those guys are mocking it, but also become very good stage performers. Right. And, uh, but here he is talking about bombing. This is a hilarious image to me. What's really embarrassing overall is to go out on stage and be as dorky and nerdy as I am and have it not work, which (laughs) which isn't that often, thank goodness, but to go up on stage and be, you know, going like, you know, um, you know, mind if I smoke, you know, you know, that kind of thing or do or, or. or just being being a real goofball up on stage. It's wonderful when people laugh at it. When people, you know, when the audience is like going like, "What's he doing?" You know, it's this is really dumb because it is really dumb. And so, you know, if people are kind of <laughs> recognizing it as being real dumb, 
it feels real <laughs> horrible. I mean, I, I've I've been out on stage before doing peewee and just pulling junk out of my bag and acting really nerdy, and all of a sudden realized that I was the biggest jerk in the world, you know. And uh, that gets real scary, you know. That that's when kind of my my own personality takes over, and I and I feel like you know. Braining somebody with a prop, but <laughs> good for Paul. <laughs> I can't think of a more deafening silence than what would follow not just a joke bombing, but that ha ha laugh that he does with his little red bow tie. <laughs> like, because you're watching a man, like, if you don't get it, if you don't get what that is, then you're that's that feels like a worse bomb than just some comic telling a joke that doesn't land because it's, it's hard to describe because often the, the comic that's bombing is being vulnerable, maybe in the joke that they're telling, but what Paul Rubens would do when he was playing Wee was vulnerable in a whole different way where he's doing this eccentric character that is not at all the norm. So he's putting himself out there in this completely goofy way. So anyone that's ever behaved like that for a laugh or anything, even on a small scale, just you know, around your friends or whatever, you know the deafening silence and the just you want to evaporate, you want to disappear if you do something like that, something goofy and silly like that, and it doesn't work. You feel like a fucking idiot. <laughs> I want to see. I want to find like a bomb tape. There has to be one somewhere. Well, what's in, what? And he he mentions there. He goes, luckily it doesn't happen often. And I heard him in a later interview say, you know, I really don't have any good bombing stories because of the nature of Pee Wee. Uh, he's not. He's supposed to be a comedian that's failing essentially. So the luxury that he has is when a joke bombs. That's that's the bit. It's like, oh, you're not laughing. Then you're part of this. You're in on it. <laughs> you know, right? So I think that's why there probably weren't as many severe bombs. Um, as, as some other people, which is a, a nice way to cope with it a little bit. You're able to tell yourself, oh, Pee Wee was bombing, not me, you know? That and he's doing show. He's not like dropping into the comedy cellar. <laughs> uh, well, he said he would, he would hang around the comedy store and he said it was very intimidating because you have all these, you know, very real personalities. But what's interesting about comedy in that time is that you get a lot of guys, and we talked about this with uh, Robin Williams, among others, where, you know, the I, I single out Robin Williams, but it's really most people, with the exception of, you know, Lenny Bruce and George Carlin and probably Richard Pryor and guys like that, Red Fox for sure. Um, the guys I just named wanted to get into stand-up. Guys like Robin Williams and uh, many others were looking for a way into entertainment. Even David Letterman, like always wanted to be a talk show host. I think he liked comedy and wanted to be a comedian, but he all, he always had his heart set on being a talk show host. So a lot of these guys get into it, not to be comedians. It's just, that's the step. Whereas I think now, particularly in New York and some of these newer, like Nashville and Austin, these newer comedy scenes, uh, LA, maybe a little less so, but for the most part, people that get into stand-up now, it's because they want to be comedians in large part because sitcoms don't exist anymore. You know, right. There's no one that's building uh Tim, the tool man, Taylor type of an act just in hopes that they can play a sitcom dad. Cause that doesn't happen anymore. So what I, what I always find interesting about talking about some of these older guys is that they kind of lucked into comedy because Paul Rubens talked a lot about how, 
he's like, I, I, I don't necessarily know that like I wanted to get into comedy. It's just that everyone told me I'd never be a dramatic actor, uh, which is also very interesting because they say comedic acting is actually more difficult than dramatic acting based on the amount of motions you have to show. But let's continue. <laughs> Uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure with uh, Phil Hartman here. Yes, so that this is uh, what really put Pee Wee on the map. Um, so, like I said, he was doing that uh, stage show in Los Angeles for a long time, and he used that similar to a lot of guys we've talked about, um, similar to what comedians are doing with like YouTube specials now, where it's like, okay, Netflix and HBO and Amazon won't give me a special. I'll just do it myself and post it. And then all of a sudden those guys end up getting Netflix specials uh, because of the success of their stuff on YouTube, the equivalent for that back in the day. And uh, this is how, you know, uh, Lucy and Desi proved that (laughs) Desi would be allowed on television because they started a stage show. It was very popular. And then they could finally go to the networks and be like, Look at the amount of tickets we're selling. We're going to get a few eyeballs on this show. So uh, this is Phil Hartman. We'll talk a little bit more about his relationship with Phil Hartman in a bit. But this is Phil talking about uh, Pee Wee and uh, the big movie. Well, it, 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 the only reason that movie got made was because Paul Rubens worked diligently uh, traveling around the country and, and performing his stand-up routine in front of sell-out crowds. And eventually, after he'd done Carnegie Hall and a number of other venues, he proved to the studio that he, um, he had what it took, you know, to, to draw an audience into, the th- into a theater. Um, I knew the guy was a genius because I'd worked with him for several years at the Groundlings. We did the Pee Wee Herman show, which was a stage show that became... A, an HBO special, um, and uh, he invited me to join him in writing his first feature film, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, and it was a very much a turning point for me. It was my first big success, I would say, in its own way. It was, it was, you know, a, a, just like getting Saturday Night Live or or news radio. You know, it was very special for me. And it's kind of sad to hear Phil talk like that only because uh, their relationship did not end well. They were not on speaking terms by the end of their, uh, uh, by the end of Phil's life, I guess you could say. Um, I I take that back. Actually, I think Phil in a couple different interviews said they did talk a couple times uh, before Phil died, but we talked about it a lot in the Phil Hartman episode. So if you want more details into that, I would uh, recommend going to check that episode out. But basically, it became a thing where, um, you know, Pee Wee got so big at a certain point that I think there are just creative differences in a lot of partnerships. And I think Phil kind of wanted to start to bring it in different directions. But Paul Rubens gets into a weird place where he becomes Pee Wee. Like, once you have the success of this movie, he basically enters uh, a life where he wants to become that character. We'll talk more about that in a minute, but uh, I find their relationship very interesting. So go check out the Phil Hartman episode if you want a little more on that. But uh, what Phil's saying there about the movie is definitely true because 
Um, I didn't realize how many people say glowing things about that movie. It made uh, $40 million at the box office, which, um, you know, is not a legendary amount, but I think it exceeded what they thought it would do. But then it became, it had even more of a cult following in, uh, you know, VHS sales and all that stuff. And so um, it's, I, I didn't realize like people call it a, such an influential film because Pee Wee was doing something in a way that I don't know how many shows and movies were at that time where I think now you get it a lot. The classic example from my childhood would be like SpongeBob probably or uh, Ren and Stimpy. I think Um, that I was a little young for, so I don't know exactly, but SpongeBob definitely where it's for kids. They've decided like they're going to market it to kids, but Parents can sit and watch it and get a good laugh out of it, or stoners can watch it and find some enjoyment out of it, whatever. It's a kid's show that the parents don't want to blow their brains out watching. Yeah, they don't necessarily want to turn it off or might even enjoy it. And that's what Pee-wee was trying to do. And I, so his stage show, I should have said that a minute ago, his stage show is more geared toward adults. And then I think they kind of realized something along the way that this would be something for children. And so Pee-wee wanted to make everyone laugh, basically. Yes. Um, but here is uh, staying in character. This is where uh, whole Paul Rubens gets a little weird, and it was his ultimate uh, undoing, I think, which we'll get to. But let's hear him talk about it. When did it become important for you to have the audience believe that um, Pee Wee was a real person, or to, or to not see the um, the man behind the character? At a certain point, very soon after, if not the night that, that Pee Wee Herman was born, the reaction was so different to that character than any other character I had done, and I had 15 or 20 other characters, pretty strong characters uh, at the Groundlings. Um, but I just knew somehow, I just had this funny feeling like, concentrate on this, this is what you should be doing. I always felt like there was an element of performance art to Pee Wee Herman that I would try to make the public believe that that was a real person. Um, so I guess it, it, was like, it was really only performance art to me because no one ever knew at the time that I was a different person. I was always billed as Pee Wee Herman, I did my interviews as Pee Wee Herman, I went many, 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 many years uh, without ever being photographed out of character um, until one day when I was photographed out of character. Uh, well, if you don't know why that's funny, we'll get to it. I won't spoil it for you, but we'll get there. <laughs> but um, yeah, and that's an interesting approach. And I respect it from a... Uh, commitment standpoint and again very you know very uh kaufman-esque where he wants people to believe this is a real person and uh it would be impossible to get away with now i think yeah but you know back then at a time even you know in 1985 let's say 86 whatever if you're looking at peewee herman on television and he's insisting he's a real guy. He's never broken character. He's doing interviews like that where legitimately the guy we just heard where he's like, uh, yeah, ah, you know, um, uh, well, we used to do a stage show, and then that's where we got the uh, HBO special, and that evolved into this. He's do he's saying what I just said, but in that Pee Wee Herman voice, that weird. He's ta- having a normal conversation with you know Diane Sawyer or whoever in a, in in the Pee Wee Herman voice. So 
you're left in 1986 looking at your television like, I, I don't believe that's a human being, but I have no evidence to suggest otherwise. Actually, a good comparison would be wrestlers back then. Great comparison, yeah, where people were like, well, this is all I see of them, so I guess <laughs> I don't know what else to believe. Right. That's what I have to believe. I have no choice. So, yeah, that's actually not a bad comparison where you're just <laughs> seeing him like this all the time. So you're like, now, I again, I love the commitment. What... um. What I would caution if I could go back in time and caution young Paul Rubens about is that, well, that's your image forever now. First of all, your image is going to have to be a squeaky clean kids, you know, child appropriate guy. That's who you have to be. But also, if you're committed to being peewee for the rest of your life, like, that's very limiting. (laughs) You know, I don't know how much other acting work you're going to get because you have to be that character. So uh, before all this stuff, he was in um, like Cheech and Chong. uh, I think a couple other movies where he's I don't know that he's uh, credited in one of them. He is credited as Pee Wee Herman, I think. I don't know if that's Chief and Chong or one of the others. Really? But I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that he's necessarily playing Pee Wee Herman, but that, it's that's basically the character he's playing. Actually, even if it's not the, that in name. The Rock's first movie credit, he was credited as The Rock. Well, there you go. Yeah, Craig keeps wanting to bring this back to wrestling. The, I mean, Let me tell you something, brother. I mean, stay, staying in character back then before <laughs> social media. That was yeah. wrestling one hundred and one. No, for sure. Kayfabe, and, brother. Uh, that 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 seems very limiting. Because the second you try and get another role, you know, if Pee Wee just has an adult sitcom, everyone's like, well, what the fuck is this? Now, I guess that's when just the bit is over. I guess that's the real answer. Is that what's what you'd have to accept? Is like, once I do that, then I'm no longer Pee Wee. I'm something else. Right. Right. But uh, here he's talking about SNL. Uh, yeah. So we uh, we talked about this a little bit with uh, uh, Gilbert Gottfried, was it? Or Phil Hartman, maybe one of those episodes. Um, this came up. But uh, he was he was really driven by not getting SNL, and I respect the shit out of it. The Pee Wee Herman show was 100% created out of spite for not getting Saturday Night Live um, and terror and panic um, because I really felt like I, I was in this kind of up-and-comer category at the time where I was being spotlighted in little sections of magazines and stuff, like a guy to watch out for kind of thing. Yeah. And... Uh, I flew to New York to be one of the 22 finalists in the season that included uh, Joe Piscopo and Eddie Murphy and those people. And Gilbert Gottfried was the person who kind of took the slot. And on the plane, on the way back, I totally panicked. I thought, like, I'm going to go from up-and-comer to, you know, nothing. And uh, I just thought, you better you better really do something about this and take control. So... Uh, I became a writer and a producer and a director uh, out of, I felt like necessity. I, I, I find that so interesting. Cause I think once you become Pee Wee Herman and you walk into, you know, an audition for something like Saturday night live, you, your mindset has to be, well, there's no one else that's going to be as weird as me. And then you look over and see Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> you're like, God damn it. <laughs> Plus also that hurts him because Everyone just looks at him as Pee Wee. Um, well, that, so this is before I, I I did these a little out of order. This is uh, before he made it big as Pee Wee. That was just kind of his main character. So I would like to know 
what other characters he had that would have been successful. Cause at a certain point, I think he was so locked in the peewee that that's what we know him as. But like, could he have stepped outside of that role and been a great actor? I think, you know, we saw what he did in blow. We'll talk about that a little later too, but like he was able to do other characters when the time came 30 rocks, another good example. Um, but I wonder how much of that was developed before Pee Wee Herman. Cause like you said, that was the one success that he had in his kind of character and sketch and improv work. But it's uh by the way, shout out to Gilbert Gottfried. Cause we should men- mention him more as an influence for, especially when we talk about like one liner guys and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I, I neglect to bring up Gilbert Gottfried and shame on me. Cause I, I should more often, but it is very interesting to hear like, it's funny that Pee Wee in his mind was like, fuck, I didn't get SNL. I lost out to Gilbert Gottfried. Then you look at this. This is just funny how life works because you look at Gilbert Gottfried's time on SNL and it was nothing. He was, he was barely on. He was gone very quickly. Meanwhile, that failure, not getting it inspired Pee Wee to have a massive film and then a massive, you know, child's television show. So it's, it's interesting the things that fuel, I think that'll be another good episode too. At some point uh, we will do it. The, the best people who didn't make SNL because there's a long list of crazy talented people that aren't, we're not on that show that auditioned. That'd be a great episode. I've seen the, their audition tapes are everywhere. So that'd actually be a really good episode. Yeah. Um, so shout out to Gilbert, but yeah, it's, it's, it's very funny to think of Pee Wee, Paul Rubens thinking like, well, I'm definitely the weirdest guy here. And then you hear, hello. <laughs> oh, God. Damn it. <laughs> Punches his alive couch. <laughs> um, but here he is talking about writing. Uh, okay. This is, this is back to the movie. Sorry for jumping around in the timeline here. Um, this is more talking about the movie. And I found this very funny too, because I was just mentioning how people really respect and uh, have a lot of love for this movie. The quick aside, Big Adventure is uh, sometimes now taught in um, screenwriting classes because it follows such a classic um, format. And the reason for that is because I'd never written a movie before. I bought Sid Field's The Screenplay. And... And we did exactly what they said. And uh, it's a 90-minute film. It's a 90-page script. On page 30, I lose my bike. On page 60, I find it. I mean, it's, it's literally... It's literally exactly what they said to do in the book. You need, there should be like a MacGuffin kind of a thing. There should be something you're looking for. I was like, okay, my bike. Um, (laughs) I think it's so funny because it almost sounds like he's about to launch into a brag where he's like, you know, they they talk about Pee Wee's big adventure in film classes a lot. And that's because I had no fucking idea what I was doing. And I just, (laughs) I was just like, yeah, whatever you say, Sid Fields. (laughs) I did the script structure. (laughs) So it's funny. It's funny how well that I love stories like that, where it's like, yeah, it was such a success because I didn't know what I was doing basically. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, And it's also very honest because I think a lot of guys, uh, that reached the the levels that he was at. Now you may have had some humbling over the years, but I think a lot of guys that reach those levels kind of start to smell their own shit a little bit and create this this legend that maybe never existed. You know, so I, I always respect guys that kind of remember the history 
in a little more uh, realistic lens. Yep. And um, here we have him uh, advancing to Pee Wee's Playhouse a little. All right. Let's hear about the TV show now. And then a year, almost a year to the day after the movie premiered, uh, Pee-wee's Playhouse debuted on CBS in 1986. And that was as a result of the president of CBS Children's Programming, an a incredible woman named Judy Price, um, approached my manager at the premiere of Big Adventure at the Chinese Theater in Hollywood and said, would he like to do a cartoon? And I got asked that at that party and turned around and without even thinking and said, I don't want to make a cartoon. I want to make a live action show based or inspired by the stage show I had, which in my mind, I had a pilot to show somebody I could go here. It's sort of like this. And CBS like said yes without even seeing it. She said yes right there at the party. Said, wow. yeah, fine. And uh, and they said to me in the first meeting at CBS, you can do anything you want, we'll never tell you anything, and they lived up to that. I mean, I, I had probably three notes from CBS over five years. I mean, that's pretty ballsy of him to, to be offered a cartoon, which not only getting an offer like that, that, that already in itself is ballsy to kind of, not necessarily turn down, but try and uh, build upon, or say no to, but the other thing is like, he seems perfect for a cartoon. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? So that's, what's interesting to me is like my instinct would be like, Oh yeah, I got a weird voice. I could do a bunch of different voices. No problem. Yeah. I'll do a cartoon. He had enough of a vision that he said, I'd like to do basically a real life cartoon. I'd like to be a cartoon character, but in live action, if that makes sense. Cause that's what yeah. Pee Wee's playhouse was was basically a children's cartoon brought to life. So that's what's amazing about him having that vision and it being his first real project or his first television project anyways. You know what I mean? Like a lot of guys that are getting that offer are like, yeah, okay, I'll keep this quiet. And then the next one I'll mention the the TV show I want to do, you know? Right. He's a genius. They, Although they, it's tough to pass up a cartoon too, because it's like, all right, I just have to go in there and just talk in one spot. That's the other thing. Yeah. Walk in in your pajamas and yeah. <laughs> say your lines and get the hell out of there. Right. But, um, I mean, unless he's writing it, of course, obviously. But, um, the other interesting thing is that he's a guy that this is probably uh, more common now, maybe with the way things have gone between TV and movies. But in the 1980s, it's very unusual for a guy to have a hit movie and then go into television with the same character. That's unheard of, really. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, from a, a, a standpoint of, um, you know, building your career, it almost doesn't make sense. But yet Pee Wee figured out a way to make it work for him. It was, it, it really was pretty brilliant. Like I never thought of uh, Paul Rubens or Pee Wee Herman in that way. But like when you look at what he's able to accomplish, I'll keep mentioning the jerky boys. He had this tremendous amount of influence. You know, I don't like, I don't know how much it ultimately um, put into his pocket. But if you look at the people that came after him, that copied or were influenced by what he was doing uh, a tremendous amount for sure. Yeah. And, uh, now, unfortunately, oh, no. No, yeah. I thought we had a little more time. No, no, we didn't. 
<laughs> boy, boy, this went by fast. <laughs> well, I think the last person we eulogized was Gallagher, and that didn't go well. So we'll see if we can try and keep this one a little more positive. Because this, this is very light. This we can all agree, at least, that uh, Pee Wee got squeezed, so to speak. So He did that himself. That's fun. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, Pee-wee's Playhouse ends in uh, late 1990 or early 1991. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe eight months go by. And Pee-wee said, you know, eight, eight, so CBS wanted him to do a sixth season. He turned it down. He said, I'm done. I'm getting burnt out with uh, Pee-wee's Playhouse. Um, apparently the, the writing like got a little weaker, a little more tired. They were repeating some of this stuff. Um, so people was like, you know what? I'm, I'm kind of done with this. Also, I've been in fucking character for seven years now. <laughs> I, I'd like to be a human being. My mom like can't to talk on, to me on the phone anymore. <laughs> I'd like to go on. Uh, yeah. I'd love to know if he did that just even on a personal level. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Paul, all right. Sorry, Pee Wee. <laughs> um, He's got that goofy bike out front of his house. <laughs> yeah, it's like when uh, they said Daniel Day Lewis would stay in character as Lincoln even when he was texting people. <laughs> That's right. All right. All right. Yes. Each text was like, "Yes, Abraham, <laughs> my de- my dearest Adam." <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So Pee Wee's Playhouse ends. Paul takes a little Paul time. <laughs> Maybe, you know, grows the hair and beard out as people often do in these situations. And uh, he takes in a few films. That was a segue I wasn't ready for. Here we go. <laughs> uh, right. On July 26, 1991, Rubens was arrested for indecent exposure in Sarasota, Florida, when detectives found him masturbating to a film by the name of Naughty Nurses or Nancy Nurse, depending on the source. When Rubens was arrested, the mugshot shows him with a long goatee and long black hair, looking nothing like his childlike persona. Yeah, so that that's where the that, that's where uh, what he was referring to earlier, where people saw that picture and were like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> and I think it was such a, a juxtaposition where you're like, "Ooh, it's jarring at first. Yeah, he he looks sick. So I I think. So now it's been, what, 32 years since this happened? I think pretty much across the board, people say, and this goes for Fred Willard and anyone else that's been arrested in an adult movie theater for jerking off. It's almost cliche to say at this point, but it's like, what else are you supposed to do in there? You know, the idea of having three police officers in there to monitor when men unzip their fly seems like a waste of resources. So obviously that's pretty crazy. But... You got to remember in 1991, uh, this is when, you know, the country was still a lot more religious and uptight about a lot of things sexually. Um, This is probably right around the time of like Tipper Gore and all the NWA stuff as well, like censorship and that sort of thing. So people were very, uh, very worried about their, you know, their their appearance and, 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 um, public relations when it comes to that stuff, especially when you're selling to kids. Now, my argument would be like, I don't know, is a six-year-old going to have even heard the news that Paul Rubens went to an adult movie theater? I can tell you this. I sure didn't until I was way older. 
Yeah, right. So, so I, I, I don't know. I, I, I personally think people overreacted, but I get it's business or whatever. So, uh, you know, I think Pee-wee's- there's, I was going to say, I think, I don't, I don't want to spoil anything. There's something else that people probably more hung up on. <laughs> well, that's, a, this, this is what's amazing. This is my entire life. This is the arrest that that Paul I Rubens yes. has gotten shit for. Yes, this is the only thing I was aware of until like sort of recently. <laughs> yeah, th- so this is very it's very weird that he he got a lot of shit for this. This was a massive controversy. Uh, so let's hear a little more about it. Yeah, this is uh, the charges he received. Rubens was arrested upon leaving, and according to the police, he offered to perform a children's benefit as Pee Wee Herman for the sheriff's office if the charges were dropped. Days later, Rubens released a statement denying he exposed himself in any way. Judge Judy Goldman sentenced Rubens to pay a $50 fine with other sources paying $75, including court fees. He was also made to produce and pay for a nationally distributed anti-drug spot. The spot would fulfill a 75-hour community service requirement. Isn't it funny that they literally put a price on it? It's like uh, Paul Rubin should have been like, guys, it's a $50 crime. (laughs) Let's all stop overreacting here. (laughs) You know? So, and, and that thing where he uh, negotiated with the cops, I guess he also did that with, um, uh, I'm trying to think it was the Tampa newspaper or Sarasota new, wherever he was, the local newspaper, uh, he tried to get the story buried by offering to be peewee at a a children's party. And I think they kind of report that as like, how sad he's begging. But I look at it as like, he's just like, listen, can can I, what can I do to make this go away? Cause it's going to ruin my career for some ridiculous reason. It's crazy. Right. Thank God we kind of get out of this mentality, but could you imagine if we didn't have the last few years of Fred Willard because of this horse shit, Right. you know? Right. But, um, uh, this next video is entitled Next Arrest. Now, again, uh, so I, I, I should have mentioned. Pee Wee lost. Um, he, he had some sort of like ride at Disney. They took that away. Uh, he had children's toys that were very popular, gone off the shelves. Uh, CBS ends syndication of Pee Wee's Playhouse. And to me, I think that's the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's the only that's what keeps him relevant at that time, you know. Like I don't even know did they. I'm sure they maybe they put out individual seasons on VHS, but it wasn't as popular as it was later when you would get like box sets and things like that. Um, so the way Pee Wee's Playhouse lives on is reruns on CBS and ultimately other stations, and they reached a point where like they did five seasons, so. Generally, that means you could be syndicated. CBS cuts him off. This was the the big joke was about Pee Wee getting arrested for this, blah, blah, blah. This other case, maybe I've heard about in my life, but incredibly rarely. Yeah, not very <laughs> often. You think about Pee Wee, you think about the movie theater. If you talk about Paul Rubens getting arrested, you think of him jerking off at a porn. Not this, which probably should get mentioned a little more. I'd say. November 2002, while filming a video for Elton John, police entered Rubens' home with a search warrant after they were acting on a tip from a witness in the pornography case against actor Jeffrey Jones. Jones was arrested the same year for possession of child pornography after a 17-year-old accused Jones of soliciting him for nude photos. Police found videos and photographs that were considered child pornography in Rubens' home. 
Rubens turned himself into the LAPD and was charged with possession of obscene material improperly depicting a child under the age of 18 in sexual content, a claim Rubens still denies. One thing I want to make very, very clear. I don't want anyone for one second to think that I am titillated by images of children. It's not me. You can say lots of things about me, and you might. The public may think I'm weird. They may think I'm craft or anything that anyone wants to think about me. That's all fine. As long as one of the things you're not thinking about me is that I'm a pedophile. Because that's not true. Paul Rubens, 2004, NBC News. Rubens was required to register his address with the sheriff's office and was not allowed to be in the company of minors without the permission of a parent or legal guardian. Rubens' defense was that he was a fan of erotica and has a collection that includes films and magazines. According to Rubens, what the city attorney's office considers pornography, he thinks of as an innocent art. What they thought was underage people masturbating, Rubens says was a judgmental point of view and they were definitely not performing sex acts. In December of that year, Rubens pled not guilty and by March 2004, the charges were dropped in exchange for Rubens' guilty plea to a misdemeanor. Can you imagine? Uh, hi, I'm Pee Wee Herman. I'm moving in next door. I just uh, <laughs> I have to let you know I'm a sex offender. <laughs> he would for sure have to do it in character, I think. <laughs> I came to the laugh. Because they would just be like, oh, he's just joking. He did the <laughs> thing, so he doesn't mean it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you don't hear about that very often. No. Uh, so, Pee Wee, by the way, I love that he's like, hey, you can say a lot of things about me. That's a great, <laughs> that's very funny to include. Listen, you can call me, boy, I'll tell you. I mean, my take my wife, for example. She'll really, I leave the house a mess. I leave the toilet seat up, but I am no pedophile. <laughs> <laughs> so, so basically um, they found what was described as vintage pornography because Paul Rubin said he's a bit of a collector. That's always a great, uh, I would say that's not as bad as the Pete Townsend research defense. Right. Right. I don't think we ever got that, uh, that thesis he was working on either, by the way. So was this, it was just one picture of a 17 year old. That's what that just made it sound like. I I think it was, uh, I think it was a little more than that. That's what I thought, but that article more than that, as well as oddly enough, uh, apparently he had downloaded Rob Lowe's sex tape. Um, which if you don't know about that, it came up in the roast of Rob Lowe a few times that uh, Rob Lowe was banging a 16-year-old in that tape. So how old was old, Rob Lowe? Uh, I got to say, this this reminded me of um, a few comments we got on the Charlie Chaplin episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say my focus was more on how it was portrayed in the movie and how people weren't like, what the fuck is that? Uh, but people had a good, good observation. They were like, uh, yeah, no, Mike, that's a good point. A powerful guy in Hollywood getting away with sexual crimes. That's really never been done since then. <laughs> I was like, all right, that's fair. You make a good point. <laughs> but uh, here he is talking about his mug shot. Yeah, so this is a little what I was talking about where I think it's mainly such the, the, the stark difference between the two that really cost Pee Wee a lot. 
And I always, I always felt that really, really what I did in that way was, um, was why everything turned out so extreme. I felt like there was just such a strong juxtaposition between like my mugshot and my peewee pictures and there was nothing ever in between that. So, <laughs> you know, it, it, to some, to, uh, uh, in hindsight, I could say maybe that backfired, but I, I don't really believe that because I, I, I have no regrets really about anything other than turning down uh, the, to host the White House Easter egg hunt uh, <coughs> under Reagan. Um, <clears throat> and in hindsight, I should have said yes because I was never invited again. Um, uh, particularly not after 2004, I don't think. <laughs> when, when was this interview? I'm guessing it was after 2004, and if that's his only regret, that's kind of weird. It's it's all very strange how how infrequently uh, that gets brought up and how he didn't do jail time. I get hey, listen, pictures are pictures. I guess you can just have those. So <laughs> go to, to uh, scroller dot com, folks. I don't know. Um, I was wondering but, how you were going to defend it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not defending it. I'm not defending any of these people. I, the legal system is. What can I tell you? I can't believe you defended it like that. <laughs> Ridiculous. Uh, um, so, yeah, I think, ba- and by the way, for you audio only listeners, blindmike.net, um, if you're only listening and you've never seen the picture of uh, Pee Wee Herman, he looks exactly like a guy that is jerking off in a movie theater. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, if you were drawing a man who was arrested for cranking it in a, an adult movie theater, it's what Paul Rubens looks like in that image. So I do get the, the logic behind like parents seeing this squeaky clean, you know, young boy essentially in Pee Wee Herman versus that mugshot that came out. But again, my point would be like the kids that are watching that show have no fucking idea about that. You know, I don't get it. Right. uh, Uh, Yeah. So this uh, again, focusing on the first arrest, (laughs) this was a massive um, story. This was a big deal. I think for obvious reasons, it became, you know, uh, very, very much part of popular culture to make fun of the idea that Pee Wee Herman was jerking off in a movie theater. So it, it got mentioned. Let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, next we have uh, Jim Carrey doing. Uh... Yeah. So this is just to give you a little taste. This is when Jim Carrey was on in living color, uh, mocking it. <clears throat> here we go. There's a long thing at the beginning here. Hi, boys and girls. Your friend Pee-wee has been on a new adventure, which is why it's time to buy the new improved Pee-wee doll. <laughs> Great impression. It's so good. This one's even anatomically correct. <laughs> That's right. Just like Fu Manchu, the new Pee-wee doll is a master of disguise. Not only that! <laughs> the new Pee-wee doll comes with Turbo Fist! <laughs> so now Pee-wee can beat this drum! <laughs> yeah, so it just became part of the, the zeitgeist. It was in popular culture. Everyone was talking about it and making jokes about it. And, uh, you know, I'm sure it was something that uh, 
uh, people like you know morning zoo shows were making fun of every day and all of that. Uh, so are we at kind of his his one comeback moment that he had with Pee Wee? Yeah, I was curious though. Had uh, Pee Wee and Jiminy Glick ever crossed paths? <laughs> oh, interesting. Boy, the voice is definitely inspired. I didn't catch it till you said that. I didn't catch it till just a second. <laughs> Yeah, that is that is that is a little. There is a lot of Jiminy Glick there. You're right. Which one came first? Probably Pee Wee. I imagine. Oh, Pee Wee by a long shot. Yeah. Jiminy Glick was until like 2000. I don't think. Is it that late? Oh, I thought it was at least the 90s. Well, that's what I knew of the show. I don't know if uh, Martin Short had been doing it for a long time before that. Yeah, just the way he changes the pitch in his voice when he's talking and everything. Yeah, yeah, it is a little. But as Martin Short teaches Larry uh, in Curb Your Enthusiasm, but then you go down low, <laughs> come really high. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is his comeback. Yeah, so this was a uh, shout out to MTV at the at the height of its hipness when uh, back when MTV was cool and they were doing the VMAs. Um, this is like when MTV was a big deal, you know, very very popular with the kids, but it was still like on the fringes. You know, they were telling parents to go f themselves. <laughs> so all the squares that thought it was lame to jerk off in movie theaters, MTV held their middle finger right up to them. Um, so this is, this is only two months later after the incident, um, Paul Rubens was arrested in July. The VMAs were in September of that year and, uh, out comes a familiar face. Ladies and gentlemen, MTV is proud to introduce someone who has been a friend for a long time. What a pop. Yeah. Basically, he just comes out, does that, and that, that was it. That was essentially it. Uh, I think he just introduced the next act or whatever. Um, and that was it. He comes out, gets a massive pop, says, heard any good jokes lately, which is a good line, although I'll say it is kind of the easy way out because, like, um, when uh, Chris Rock's first show, it happened to be here in Boston at the Wilbur, um, after the Will Smith slap, he just comes out and says, how was your weekend? And that gets a big laugh. It's, it's easy in that situation to get a massive laugh because people just want to hear you say words. They haven't heard from you since the incident. So they're like, just fucking say anything and we'll give it to you. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> but I got to say good for MTV. And again, they were counterculture at the time. And you know, I, I have to keep prefacing this. They didn't know what would be revealed in 2004. 
So I'm not, I'm <laughs> right. not co-signing any of that. I'm just saying good for MTV for as, knowing. As Mike uh, says, it was just pictures. No, no, no. That's not what I said. That's not what I meant. It is, actually, this is exactly what I said. It's not what I meant. <laughs> um, so, you know, good for MTV for kind of having the balls to be like, hey, this guy didn't do anything wrong. You know, we'll put him on television. Who gives a shit? Right. Right. But that was, that was exactly why they did it, too. It's like, really? Who gives a fuck? Right. And they know they're going to get a massive pop and people are going to be talking about it. So it's mutually beneficial. Right. Um, But that didn't really like propel uh, Paul Rubens or Pee Wee Herman back into the spotlight. Like he had a few roles. Um, Actually, is that what's next? Him talking about that? No, the next is his uh, PSA. (laughs) This is even more bizarre. You may remember a few minutes ago. Uh, we'll talk about his future roles uh, after this. Uh, you may remember, we let it kind of slip by. He had to pay that $50 fine or whatever. But he also agreed to do a an anti-drug PSA. <laughs> well, I'll, I, I'll show you the voice that he had to use for it. <laughs> This is crack. Rock <laughs> I mean, cocaine. if you're sitting at home watching this, you have to be thinking, am I on drugs now? Am I on crack? What's happening? How did he get it? <laughs> that was my first question. How did he get the crack? <laughs> Pee-wee, no, you're just a boy. <laughs> <laughs> this is crack. This is, this is so weird that they had him do it in character. I don't... And I mean, we we've played before on like Patreon and stuff. We've talked about old weird uh, drug PSAs and very special episodes of television shows. I guess that's just what they thought would be most effective. Like if he's like, hi, I'm Paul Rubens and I'd like to talk to you about crack cocaine. People don't care, but maybe if Pee Wee's doing it, they leave the channel on. I guess that's the logic, but let's keep playing it. It's very odd. This is crack, rock cocaine. It isn't glamorous or cool or kid stuff. It's the most addictive kind of cocaine, and it can kill you. What's really bad is nobody knows how much it takes. So every time you use it, you risk dying. It isn't worth it. Look, everybody wants to be cool. Heartbeat. But doing it with crack isn't just wrong could be dead wrong. My God. Don't even try it. It's, it's <laughs> the, tr- the thrill can kill. Yeah, and I believe right after that, Paul Rubin said, am I done with this shit now? Can I go back to my life? I'm retired. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to leave this place. Very weird. I don't know. I don't know what the angle of that is. Also, I would ask, and I'm sure he did, ask the judge, I wasn't arrested for crack cocaine. Why am I? I don't understand this. What's the message? Yeah, I have no experience with this. That'd be great if uh, after 2004, they were, <laughs> this is kitty porn. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, by this logic, he has to be talking about fentanyl or something. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> That'd be great if we got one Paul Rubens anti fentanyl ad before he died. <laughs> this is purple drank. <laughs> So yeah, very a very weird punishment for the for the the punishment did not fit the crime by any 
stretch of the imagination. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, so he starts getting a little more acting work. Um, he talks about that, and then we'll talk about it. Yeah, I've had all kinds of incredible um, post-Pee-wee work, including the first thing I did after Pee-wee um, and after getting arrested was um, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I did it because um, it was uh, it was offered to me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have to audition or anything. And I really was, I really, the very first thing I thought of was, was that old kind of like, get back up on the horse, you know? So I thought, well, maybe I should just do a movie right away so I don't spook myself out of show business. It was a part that they didn't really know what they were going to do with it. And uh, I, had a con- I had a clause put in my contract that I could look as much like my mugshot as possible. Um, <clears throat> and so I... Um, <laughs> It's true. It's really true. Um, I just wanted to look like that. <laughs> uh, so I think the, the lesson kind of sank into him. Like, I should look at like as much of a dirtbag as possible. So this doesn't happen again. But right. <laughs> uh, yeah, so like you said, he had, he had some minor roles. He did a bunch of voiceover work in his later years. Um, he did his big, you know, comeback, quote unquote, was in Blow. Yep. Um, he was in Blow, starring Johnny Depp, and uh, he was very good in that. He was and, awesome you know, in that movie. Yeah. Cr- critically acclaimed and everything. Um, but it didn't lead to a lot. You didn't all of a sudden see Paul Rubens in a bunch of dramatic roles or anything. Um, he was also in, he played, he played um, uh, a prince of some foreign country. <laughs> In uh, an episode of 30 Rock, which I didn't realize was him until he died. Have you ever heard, uh, like, Opie and Anthony would play this clip all the time from 30 Rock of, uh, I like werewolf movies. Yeah. That was Paul Rubens. (laughs) (laughs) Did not know that. I never knew it (laughs) until he died. I think Opie actually posted the clip. And I was like, oh, holy shit. That was him. I didn't realize that. And I'm a 30 Rock fan. But, yeah, he had some weird, like, bit parts like that. He never quite resurfaced until, uh, I guess, 2008, 2009, he started doing uh, the stage show again. And it sold a, a bunch of tickets. He did very well with it. And uh, people were concerned because he doesn't have the same look. Now he's, you know, 20-something years older. Uh, so, mm, is it going to work? But at least on screen um, for the Netflix thing that he did with Judd Apatow, they were able to figure it out where it didn't look that drastic. Um, So yeah, uh, Pee Wee quote unquote kind of makes a comeback in like 2009. Then Judd Apatow produces um, Pee Wee's big holiday on Netflix in 2016. And that was about it. That's, that's more or less it in the career of Pee Wee Herman. Now, if we were to talk influences, I think it spans a lot of people. Anyone who grew up in the eighties, I think that is doing weird zany stuff. Like if you look at the Todd glasses stand up show where he has weird cutaways and stuff like that, I think that's probably inspired by Pee Wee's playhouse. So I think a lot, I think a lot of young kids in the eighties were definitely influenced by Pee Wee, much like the jerky boys, um, but I don't know how much, again, I think he made a living. He did a lot of voiceover work and stuff like that. 
Um, he probably got hired for a few more PSA gigs after that masterful performance. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I don't know. Um, I think tremendous had- influence, but not a tremendous amount to show for it, unfortunately. Yeah, I checked his net worth earlier. It's only like five million. It's it's amazing. Well, it's not bad, but again, for a guy with that much impact, you'd think it would be more. Everyone knows who he is, right? Yeah, that's a that's a great point. Every if you say Pee Wee Herman, there's not a person in America that doesn't know that name, right? It, he became a cultural icon, and so it's weird that he didn't have more of an impact. Now, one arrest that damages your image, and the other that technically defines you as a pedophile. I understand why he didn't have a massive comeback. You right. Know? Right. Uh, it's, it's, I'm trying to think of other, uh, like Kevin, Kevin Spacey saying he's gay when, uh, he gets accused of sexual assault. That bomb didn't that's work. Ba- that's That's basically like, uh, Hey, I'm a, I'm an art collector. <laughs> <laughs> Who have you shown this art to? Oh, nobody. It's hidden under my bed. But yeah. But, he's probably like influenced like, uh, like, even like Blues Clues, they have that guy that just like talks to the kids watching. Oh, I would say a ton of kids shows. Yeah. Um, I mean, SpongeBob, even the voice of SpongeBob sounds like Pee Wee Herman. Right. Yeah, he kind of, you know? everything really. Yeah, I, th- I, I think a lot of that stuff for sure. Um, I turned my 10th so yeah, my, uh, grade math class into Pee Wee's Playhouse every day. Well, there you go. I'd Influenced pick, Craig. I'd pick a secret word, and then when uh, the teacher, who I hated, would say it. It always started with an N, unfortunately. <laughs> the whole class would be like, ah, she said it. And then I got kicked out of that class, and uh, it continued, and then she quit. So okay. shout out Pee Wee. Hear more about that on Very Good Show. Go to verygoodshow.org. I actually, I think I literally just told that story. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Fresh content we get here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anything else Pee Wee related? Uh, nope, but it's our favorite segment of the show. We haven't done it in a long time. Thank God for Norm's uh, need to talk about pop culture in the 90s because finally we can shoehorn Norm back into the show. We haven't had, for whatever reason, the last uh, bunch of episodes we've done, we haven't had a way to squeeze Norman. So luckily today, um, I think one of the first interviews Paul Rubens did not as Pee Wee Herman after the incident was on Jay Leno's tonight show. So naturally Norm, when he's on with Jay uh, decides to mention this. Yeah, and I apologize for the uh, crappy quality of this video. It's nothing we can do. Blame YouTube. Yeah. Because he's trying to get his career back going. Oh, he's doing fine. Yeah. No, doing I have fun. no problem. Actually, what I think what he did in that movie theater, because it was a dirty movie theater, I think it was kind of like just applause. You know what I mean? Like you know, right? <laughs> <laughs> But it's funny how everybody still remembers it, even though he's trying to get his career yes, back. Yes, yes, yes. And then he'll appreciate you bringing it up. <laughs> No, I love when Norm, they're like, Jay obviously doesn't want to talk about this. He's a squeaky clean guy. He's putting his head down in his desk and everything. <laughs> to, keep, to keep saying, you know, you know it's so funny is uh, uh, he wants to get his image back and people keep bringing it up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> the beauty of Norm, just that childlike, like, isn't that crazy, Jay? What do you think of that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so funny. Yeah. So as uh, as Norm said, people kept bringing that up. That's unfortunately one of the things Paul Rubens is most known for. But here on Why Are You Laughing, we ask that you forget any uh, public masturbating or pedophilia and focus on the influence that the man left. Because when you're watching Pee Wee's Playhouse, you're not thinking of his extracurricular activities, mm-hmm. you know? Right. And like Mike said, it's just pictures. It's like art. That's all. Well, he said, again, <laughs> I want to be clear. It was vintage art is what they called it. That is the funniest description of that. Vintage art. <laughs> uh. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, <laughs> an, an odd episode for sure, but I'll be curious to hear if you guys like it. Let me know. Comment on YouTube. That helps the algorithm, as they say. So uh, leave a comment, like, subscribe if you could. Uh, subscribe on YouTube. Join as a member if you'd like, if you can figure it out. Or join on Patreon. The easiest way to find those links is blindmike.net. You can also find Blind Mike Project and who are the socials links there if you want to check out those programs. But uh, if you're a Why Are You Laughing fan, we do bonus episodes every single month as well as post these episodes a week early. So if you're thinking, Mike, I can't wait for next week's episode, which is going to be focusing on the world's worst comedian, uh, then make sure you get on Patreon now so you can get it a week early. How's that sound? Yeah, and um, then go to verygoodshow.org to support Craig. Hey. And uh, I don't know, anything else? No, nope. <laughs> I got nothing. Did we, did we do Paul Rubens justice? I feel bad for focusing some, but that was such a big part of his career. It really derailed I, his career. I have a hard time being like, man, this guy was great when he's got that kitty porn. It's charge. weird because he got railroaded until he didn't, until he got <laughs> off pretty easy. <laughs> you know what? He didn't do anything after that. Yeah, right. It's weird. But, it's very strange. Uh, all right. We'll talk to you guys next time. On why are you laughing? Zip it up and zip it out. Yeah.